Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series is on the church and spiritual warfare. During this series, Kevin Connor's best-selling book, The Church in the New Testament, is available at 50% off as an immediate PDF download from kevinconnor.org. Select monthly special. Gate the word of God. Father, we just hold in our hands your word and... Uh, We're happy to confess our faith that your word is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's infallible, inerrant, and uh, it's it's given for our profit that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We thank you, Lord, that your word, you've told us to preach it in season, out of season, be instant, and that your word is uh, profitable for righteousness, for instruction, for correction, and adjustment. Let your word accomplish its uh, purpose this morning, Father, as we share together. We ask in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. I would like you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and 2. Now there's just uh, two verses I want to draw your attention to, or more particularly one, but we'll read the two verses, and I'm going to read it from several translations here. Actually, I have about ten translations before me, but uh, we'll read just several of them. All right, from Old King James, Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen to uh, verse 2 from the Living Bible. Uh, Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but be a new and a different person with a fresh newness in all you do and think. Then you will learn from your own experience how his ways will really satisfy you. Listen to... uh, the uh, today's English version, do not conform your, uh, outwardly to the standards of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete change of your mind. Then you will be able to know the will of God, what is good and is pleasing to him and is perfect. NIV puts it this way, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. The Jerusalem Bible puts it this way, do not model yourselves on the behaviour of the world around you. You notice the word world, behaviour, customs, standards, pattern, behaviour here. Do not model yourselves on the behaviour of the world around you, but let your behaviour change. Modelled by your new mind, this is the only way to discover the will of God and know what is good, what it is that God wants, what is the perfect thing to do. Amplified puts it this way, Do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitude, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the thing which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight to you. And then the uh, translation I want to use this morning is uh, Philip's Modern English, which puts it this way. 
Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mould, but let God remake you so that your whole attitude of mind is changed. Thus you will prove in practice uh, that the will of God is good, acceptable to him, and perfect. So I want you all to say that expression with me this morning, that part of the verse. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould. Let's all say that together. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould. One more time. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould. All right, that's what we want to talk about this morning, the church and the world. I want to thank, uh, thank you, first of all, as a congregation, a number of young people and uh, uh, other people thanked me for last Sunday night. Uh, to tell you the truth, I was very nervous last Sunday night. How many picked that up who were here? Just let you know that I am a human being. Uh, because when I was talking on the four kinds of love, I didn't know whether you turned me off or whatever. But I want to thank you for the encouragement that I received from the word last night, last Sunday night. Trust that you'll do the same this morning. For those of you who have not been here, you'll have to pick up the tapes and try and catch up to where, we're, uh, where we've been sharing. We've been doing a series together on the church and spiritual warfare. And in our series together, our last couple of sessions, we've been dealing with using Israel as a picture that all these things happen under them for types and examples. And I've written out for our admonition upon whom the ends of the age have come. And we saw that uh, in Israel's warfare, Israel was the church in the wilderness, Israel was God's army, and that there were three phases of the war that they had to go through. First of all, the phase of conquering Egypt, and the second phase was of conquering the wilderness, and the third phase, of course, was Canaan. And as we've been sharing together, we said they could not conquer Canaan because they never conquered the wilderness. And they couldn't conquer the wilderness because they never conquered Egypt. In our picture relating it to the church, we said Egypt is a type of the world, the wilderness a type of the flesh, and Canaan a type of the devil. So the three enemies that the church has to conquer in spiritual warfare are the world, the flesh, and the devil. And in that order, we'll never conquer the devil and uh, prince of powers and powers unless we conquer the flesh. Many Christians do not conquer the flesh because they never conquer the world. And so the world, Egypt, represents the enemy without, the wilderness, the flesh, the enemy within, and Canaan represents the devil, prince of powers and powers, the enemy above. A little bit of alliteration here is the uh, world is external enemy, the wilderness is the internal enemy, the flesh, and the devil is the infernal enemy. Now God's purpose was to bring them out of Egypt, not into the wilderness, but through the wilderness. So out of Egypt, through the wilderness, into Canaan. And so many Christians today never conquer in their spiritual warfare because they've never conquered the flesh. And the reason they never conquered the flesh is because they've never conquered the world. And as we saw in our last session together, a couple of weeks back, they had come out of Egypt and had experienced the blood of the Passover lamb, Red Sea water baptism, the cloud of the Holy Spirit, sang the song of Moses, rejoicing in victory with dance. But in the wilderness, seven times, as we saw in those scriptures, in their hearts they're turning back into Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to Egypt, the pull of Egypt. And as Jews said, I want to remind you that though the Lord saved Israel out of the land of Egypt, he afterwards destroyed them that believed not. And so that was the breakdown there, the pull of Egypt. Now today we want to spell out very explicitly what we mean by Egypt being a type of the world and uh, what we mean by the world. Now 
I want to start off with a, uh, an article somebody gave me, and it's sort of just to protect me this morning in the light of what I have to say. It's entitled The Preacher. Now, everybody picks on the preacher. If he's young, he lacks experience. If his hair is grey or if he's bald, he's too old and ought to quit. If he has five or six children, he has too many. If he has none, he's not setting a good example. If his wife sings in the choir, she's pushing, it, pushing herself. If she doesn't, she must be backslidden and not interested in her husband's work. If he dresses up too smart, he's a snob. If he dresses too common, then he's sloppy, he's a swaggy. If he takes up tithes and offerings, then he's preaching for money, and if he doesn't, he'll starve. <laughs> if he speaks from notes, then he has canned sermons, and is boring. If he speaks extemporaneously, he's too shallow and not deep enough. If he gets up a good sermon, he's too smart for his good, and if he doesn't, then he's too lazy to study. <laughs> if he uses life illustrations, he's not giving enough Bible. If he doesn't, then his teaching is over the people's heads. If he's single, he's looking for a woman. If he's married, then he's a flirt. If he's twice married, then he's living in adultery. If his first wife died, then he must have poisoned her. If he condemns sin in the church, he's a fighter. If he doesn't, then he's compromising. If he has legal law-abiding preacher's credentials, then he's got the mark of the beast. If he doesn't have any, then he just can't be right. If he preaches for an hour, he's too long. If he preaches for 20 minutes, then he's lazy. If he makes suggestion, uh, suggestions for church improvements, he's a dictator. And if he doesn't, he's a figurehead. If he preaches the truth, he's meddling in people's affairs. If he doesn't, then he's a hypocrite. If he fails to please everybody, he's hurt, hurting the church. If he tries to please everybody, then he's crazy, like the man who carried the donkey. If he fasts, he's a fanatic. If he doesn't, then he's a glutton. If he sets, sets standards in the church, he's legalistic. If he doesn't, he's loose. All of this goes to prove that the preacher must have the wisdom of an owl, the courage of an eagle, the boldness of a lion, the disposition of a dove, the stubbornness and endurance of a donkey, and the grace of God that he cannot please everybody. No wonder Paul said, brethren, pray for us. <laughs> I thought that would be good to start off with what I have to say this morning. Now, in the scripture that we've, uh, we're sort of basing our word on this morning, and uh, as you'll see, I wish I sort of had 10 Sundays uh, together where I could do this, but with having visiting ministries and so forth, we don't sort of get too much of a flow on these things. But I want to challenge you this morning, as I feel the Lord's been challenging me to, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould. I want to give you a definition, first of all, what we mean by the word world, just to make sure that we're on the uh, same wavelength here. I just find this uh, overhead uh, somewhere. Just hold on there. I hope the devil hasn't run off with it because uh, there it is here. In the uh, Greek New Testament, we have about four words for the word world. And it's the last one particularly I want to, so let me just move through this quickly. We have the first word gay or gi, or I don't know how to pronounce it uh, properly, but it simply means land, ground, territory, or the earth as distinguished from heaven. 
So we look at the planet Earth out there and the, even after 6,000 years of the fall, the Earth is still a beautiful country in spite of the mess that man has made of it. Then we have another Greek word for the word world and this is Ionis and that word world simply means a period of existence, an age or a time. And uh, we think of Galatians chapter 1 verse 4 where Paul says that uh, Christ died to, to deliver us from this present evil world, this present evil period of existence, this age, this time. Then we have a third word, oikomeno, which simply means the inhabited world. And in Matthew chapter 24 verse 14 where Jesus said, and the gospel of this kingdom or this gospel of the kingdom must be preached in all the world for witness uh, unto all nations and then shall the end come. That's the Greek word oikomeno, the inhabited world. So out of every kindred, tongue, tribe and nation the Lord wants to see the redeemed. But then the word, word that we're talking about this morning is don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould is the word cosmos. We think of cosmonaut and uh, interplanetary travel and so forth. So the word cosmos means ornament, arrangement, order. Vincent's word study puts it this way and in studying this I felt this was the sort of best definition of what we're talking about when we, when we talk about the world, word world. Vincent puts it this way, in ethical sense the word cosmos it means the sum total of life in the ordered world considered apart from and alienated from God and hostile to God and of the earthly things that seduce from God. Let me say it again. So Vincent's uh, uh, word studies gives a definition of the word cosmos. In ethical sense, it's the sum total of life in the ordered world considered apart from and alienated from God and hostile to God and of the earthly things that seduce from God. Uh, the, 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 uh, the word world, by the way, this word cosmos is used about nine times in Matthew, three times in Mark, three times in Luke, one time in Acts. But in John's Gospel it's used at least 79 times and then in 1 John chapter, well 1 John I should say, it's used 22 times. So it's very peculiar in its, uh, in its uh, uh, majority used there to the Gospel of John and to the Epistle of John. The uh, bottom sentence I have here probably is the best summary of it. When we talk about the world, we're talking about the world system in rebellion against God. So the world system in rebellion against God. Listen to some of these scriptures. 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. I'm moving pretty quickly because I want to get into the heart of my message here. Uh, the world lies in the lap of the wicked one. So the world system in its hostility and rebellion against God, the world lies in the lap of the wicked one. Uh, Jesus said, Marvel not if the world hates you, it hated me before it hates you. So John 7, 7, the world hated Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. The God of this world, Satan who is the God of this world, the world system, he has blinded the minds of them that believe not. In John 14 verse 30, John 14 verse 30, Jesus said, The prince of this world is coming, uh, and, but he has nothing in me. And then when Jesus was praying for his disciples, he said, Father, I pray not that you would take them out of the world, but you would keep them from the evil that's in this world. And then in Revelation chapter 12, we're told about the devil who deceives the whole world. So we're talking about the world system. Not the beautiful world out there, but the world system. Now what I want to 
moving after defining what we mean by the world, I want us to look at ten things that we mentioned on a previous session about the world, uh, the world squeezing the church into its mould. Uh, a number of years ago somebody gave me a little poem and it's too long to read but it's entitled The Church Walking with the World and the first verse goes like this The church and the world walked far apart on the changing shores of time The world was singing a giddy song and the church a hymn sublime Come give me your hand, cried the merry world and walk with me this way But the good church hid her snowy hand and solemnly answered nay I will not give you my hand at all, and I will not walk with you. Your way is the way of endless death. Your words are all untrue. And as the poem goes on, it ends up in the last stanza that the, the world so put the pressure on the church that eventually the church and the world were walking together hand in hand, and you could not tell the difference. And see, this is happening today. So many churches are letting the world squeeze it into its mould. And uh, this is one of the battles that we're up against. So we want to keep a standard here in Waverly Christian Fellowship. Everybody said amen. amen. All right, so there's ten things I want to give you uh, on, on where the world is squeezing the church. And so many churches who are desperate for uh, church growth and desperate to get people in are compromising their standards. So I want to uh, give you that. Let me just see if I can find. I've got so many things here. And as I said, I would like... Uh, if I had the chance to spend a number of Sundays on this, but we just don't have that type of time. Just pardon me this morning after our first session, I didn't uh, get all these things sorted out again. All right, I want to put on the overhead 10 things that we're going to look at and uh, some of them we'll have to spend just two or three minutes on and some we'll just have to move through real quickly. Perhaps sometime we may be able to do it more fully. Okay, so don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mould. The first thing I want to speak about is the, uh, is the area of worldly philosophy. Now, as I said, I want to challenge you this morning and I want you to challenge your own heart. Okay, am I allowing the world to squeeze me into its mould? So ten major areas we're going to be looking at in our time here. And as I said, each of them would be a session in itself, but let's see what we can do. In the uh, Amplified Colossians 2 and verse 8, Paul says, why don't we turn to that a moment here, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 8. We're not going to be able to look at too many scriptures here. Colossians 2 and verse 8, and the Amplified brings it out much more fuller, but he says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So warnings against vain philosophy, vain deceit, tradition of men, rudiments of the cosmos, the world system. Now, as you look at the whole thing today, uh, saints, uh, there are so many philosophies that are governing the world system. But if you, if you sort of put them all to the, 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 the source, 
Satan is the brains. I, I have a diagram, and I haven't got it here this morning, but a diagram of an octopus with its eight tentacles and all the suckers on it. And that octopus head is the satanic head. He's the brains, he's the god of this world system. But he has long legs, and these long legs with all their sucker, uh, uh, sucker cups on them are just encircling the globe, all representing different philosophies but coming from one satanic mind. And Satan has a, a, a variety of things to suit the variety of nations and variety of people's mentality. And so we can think of philosophies like uh, he, he's the hidden head. Another picture uh, shows me where, and I don't want to mention where this comes from uh, for certain... Uh, for fear of certain ones here, uh, is, is the hidden head of the snake, that in this hidden head of the snake there are 300 men that are the leaders and controllers of this world system and they use the snake as the symbol and that the brains behind the whole body of the snake and, they, and, and in this they go through how the snake, the body of the snake will encircle the world and once the tail gets into the mouth of the serpent or the snake, the hidden head, they have conquered the world. These are things that are going on. So this satanic thing, the satanic head and the brains behind it operating through the body and the tail, that's encircling the world. Or if you want to use the head of the octopus and these eight legs. And so you can think of a lot of philo uh, philosophies that uh, encircle the world. We think of communism, which is now communism, but don't, don't, don't think that communism is dead as a philosophy. It's not. Then we think of Nazism, fascism, socialism, Fabianism, feminism and humanism. And uh, we can go into the whole religious field, Hinduism, Buddhism, Mohammedanism, Taoism, Shintoism, Brahmanism, Spiritism, Confucianism, and numerous other cults and philosophies out of apostate Christ uh, Christendom. So all these political and religious philosophies, uh, though there's a variety in the nations, they all have one source behind them, and that's the satanic mind. Now, the predominant philosophy that's working in, in Australia, in our whole educational system, is the humanism. I have here, and I've recommended to you on previous occasions, if you haven't got it, to pick up the Humanist Manifesto number one and two. And through the Humanist Manifesto, they have their tenets of faith and they tell us what they're doing. And, and many parents today, I'm sorry, are oblivious to what's going on in these, th uh, these things because the whole of the Humanist Manifesto, it's like leaven. You put a little bit of leaven or yeast into the dough and, 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 and leaven or yeast as we call it, it just sort of works silently, secretly, subtly and, 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 and uh, secretly just influencing the whole lump of dough. And so in our society today, we are being influenced by the leaven of humanism. And it's a frightening thing to realize that many of our politicians are atheists, they are socialists, they are Fabians, and follow the Fabian, uh, Fabianistic philosophy, they are humanists and feminists. And these philosophies are shaping this nation and the destiny of this nation and where Australia is going, let alone the rest of the Western world. And so we're not to be ignorant of these things, but the tragedy is that the world is squeezing the church into its mould and much of the philosophy that's coming out of this thing is just sneaking into our... Well, it's, it's, it's undermining our education and sneaking into so many churches. And we're ignorant of these things. Now, I'm not talking about the subject of humanities. I'm talking about humanism. 
infiltrating our educational system, our law courts, our media, our government, our society, and even churches. And it's a subtle form of brainwashing. So if you haven't got this, you need to get hold of it and just see. Listen to some of the things that, uh, that they deal with. Atheism, no God. Evolution, no creation. Autonomous man, he's not responsible, not accountable. Situational ethics, on the whole area of the family structure. Birth control, abortion, divorce, euthanasia, sexual freedoms, suicide, amorality, sexual perversion, education redefined, values clarification, socialism, nationalism, one world government, on the whole area of salvation uh, and self-saviorism, they say, no deity will save us. We will save ourselves. There's no such thing as immortal salvation, no eternal damnation, no sinfulness of man. Man is not a sinful creature. It's just his environment and circumstances and what happened to his grandmother and his father and he was brought up bad or something like that. Existentialism, do your own thing. And they worship the God of reason. They spell out their tenets of faith here that uh, are just undermining and uh, riddle our state educational system. And a lot of parents are oblivious to that. What's happening to our kids? You want to read that, the subtlety of that. So is the world philosophy? And in some of my travels, I see how so many churches are being squeezed into the mold of the church on philosophy. Let's go to number two. And I know I'm moving fast, but as I said, I'd like to spend ten Sundays on this, but we don't have that type of Sundays available. Number two, worldly standards. I want you to turn over to Isaiah chapter 62. Isaiah 62. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Isaiah 62 and verse 10 says, Go through, go through the gates, prepare you the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Now today, so many churches are allowing the world to squeeze it into its worldly standards. Relativism, everything is relevant. No absolutes, no absolute authority, every man for himself. Everybody sets their own standards. It's like in the book of Judges we're told there was no king in Israel, no recognized authority, so everybody did what was right in their own eyes. In other words, if, if you don't have standards, everybody will set up their own standard, and if you don't have law, everybody becomes a law to themselves. And so if I were to ask you today as parents, what are your standards? And I listed some of these things. And you just think if you didn't have some standard in the home, our homes would be absolute chaos. Some, some, some homes are that. You just imagine if even your natural home, you have half a dozen children say, well, look, every, anything goes here, we're free. So just come and go as you please. Do what you want, when you want, how you want. Doesn't matter, you know. It would be absolute chaos in the home. Well, it becomes that way in a church unless you have some standards. So what are your grooming and dress standards in your home? What are your music standards? What are your dating standards for your young people? What are your behavioural standards, your relationship standards, uh, amusement standards, home standards? So, you know, what are the standards? And so here... Isaiah says, go through, go through the gates, prepare you the way of the people, cast up, cast up the highway, a highway of holiness that redeemed of the Lord can walk therein. Gather out the stones, those things that are stumbling stones and trip people up and lift up a standard for the people. In, uh, in uh, the, the dictionary, the whole thought of standard, there's a double thought actually, it's like a, 
an ensign, a banner, a flag, and uh, well, they always would have the standard bearer in the battle. And you may remember some of the old uh, songs like the Battle Hymn of the Republic when I was in America, I used to sing the uh, Battle Hymn of the Republic, you know. Oh, say, do you see the star-spangled banner? And uh, when, the, when the standard bearer went into the battle, then the enemy's job was to shoot down the standard bearer. And any of the soldiers would just rush to the standard. If the standard bearer was shot, they'd rush and pick up all glory, hold it up there. And as long as the soldiers saw the standard, all glory, what it represents. And yet today they'll burn the American flag, they'll burn the Australian flag. doesn't mean a thing. See? On the spiritual sense, a standard is that which is established as a rule or model by the, the authority of public opinion or by respectable opinions or by custom or, or general consent. In Waverley Christian Fellowship, it's a long si- a time since I put this out, and probably I need to repeat it, but we have a sheet here that we put out required standards for all WC leadership. And here I've said, regardless of what department one may be in, all in any areas of leadership and WCF are required to fulfil by the grace of God the following required standards. And if for any reason one believes they cannot fulfil these standards, then they may be released from leadership responsibility. God requires a high standard for all those who seek to lead others by doctrine, word, action, example. And some of the standards, there's too many to read out here, but all leaders are expected to support the work of the Lord in tithes and offerings. All leaders are expected in the majority of services, Sunday action, home meetings, leadership meetings and so forth, training sessions, unless you're on holidays or sick or unless you're dead. All leaders should be in pre-service prayer as examples to others they lead. All, all leaders should be good examples in lifestyle, living in holiness before the Lord and others. All leaders are expected to abstain from any conduct or habits that he, have evil influence on the ones they leave, lead. This includes smoking, social drinking, worldly dancing, discos, occultic, sensual, erotic and violence-oriented movies, videos, and music that is earthly, sensual and devilish. In other words, anything that would be a stumbling block and offence to those you seek to lead. All leaders should maintain proper grooming and dress codes, avoiding extremes or identification with rebel cultures and so forth. So, you know, I'm lifting up a standard this morning. And so he says, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way of the people, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones and lift up a standard. And I want us to keep a standard in Waverley Christian Fellowship. Everybody said, Amen. As I said, so many churches are compromising on these things and say, anything goes, we don't worry about stand, that's a bunch of legalism. Connor's legalistic, Waverley's legalistic, and don't go to that church. Well, there's plenty of churches that don't worry about standards, so call it legalism, call it what you like, let's call it Bible. Thank you, Brother Kevin, that's an excellent message. How many would like to have to preach this type of message? I'd rather preach on something else. All right, number three, worldly values. Another area where the church is allowing the world to squeeze it into its mould is on the whole value system. In the Humanist Manifesto, and I have a, a, a whole paper on that, is that they have a course entitled Values Clarification. In our educational system, they tell the kids, choose your own values. Weigh the thing out and see if you like it. Don't let your parents shape your values. Don't let religious leaders shape your values. So while they say that out of one mouth, they are shaping the values of our kids. 
So we're, we're living in a generation whose sense of values is warped improper or temporal values, possession of things, Luke 12, 15, materialistic values. Set your own value system. So, you know, we see this whole thing, our whole uh, uh, reverse mentality on values, you know, save a whale, save a bird. You know, in America, it's $10,000 fine if you kill an eagle. Uh, forests, animals, and all these things, thousands of dollars fine, and uh, we see it on our television, save the whales and the porpoises and dolphins and everything, but kill a And I don't know how many of you saw this thing where our girls, our children, were given this little, uh, they could buy this doll, uh, a girl doll it was, by the way, uh, that had a baby in its tummy. And so they gave them a game that they could play, win, win the game on abortion. So the girls could play this little doll and the first one to squeeze the baby out of the tummy won the abortion game. Now what is that doing to our kids, our little girls, brainwashing them, preparing them for abortion? See, so do we see these things? So watch the toys that our kids buy. Some of them are satanically inspired to subtly brainwash our kids. And uh, so, you know, value of human life, kill a baby, save a whale, save a bird, save the forest, save something in ecology, but kill children. So values of marriage, down the drain. Values of human life, down the drain. So where are the kids getting their values from? This whole values clarification course, I happen to have enough uh, information on the thing, what the kids are being taught. So they're undermining biblical and Christian values. And, and, and sorry to say, many parents don't recognize this. As I said, it works like uh, leaven. All right, let's move on. Number four, worldly appearances. Another area. Now, I want to preface what I want to say here by this. I have talked to some of our young people, and praise God for our young people in the church and older people, but I have talked to some and uh, I told them I was going to mention some of these things, but I didn't, I didn't want them to feel that I was using the pulpit as a sort of a blast because that would be sinful for me to do it. So I've already talked to some of our young people about these things. So I'm not attacking them from the pulpit, what I want to say, but I need to say it. There are plenty of scriptures about this whole business about the world squeezing into its mold and the whole area of worldly appearance. Three areas. Okay, take the whole of the clothing issue, unisex. I remember uh, 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 some time back I saw this mother and a little baby in the pr- pram there um, in the stroller and I said, oh, how's your little boy today? Isn't he lovely? And the mother really got angry with me. It's not a boy, it's a girl. I said, oh, ooh, I'm sorry. How was I to know? Unless the baby was in the nude, I'd never have known because its hair was cut like a boy, it dressed like a boy, everything about the little baby was a boy, how was I to know it was a girl? So why do the parents get mad with me? And see, the whole motto of the unisex is break down the distinction in sexes by hairstyles and grooming and clothes. So men are becoming more effeminate and womanish and women are becoming more mannish uh, you probably heard the story Billy Graham told about this little girl. She was lost. And uh, eventually they found the little girl and they said to the little girl, hang on to your mummy's dress so you don't get lost again. She said, I can't, it's too high up. <laughs> I can't reach. 
That was the same with the miniskirt. Listen to this. Did you know that in, oh, you say there's getting back in the dark ages, legalism. Okay, but listen to me anyway. Don't turn me off. Mary Quant of London, she is designated as the mother and designer of the miniskirt. 1967, she says, miniskirts are symbolical of those girls who don't want to wait until dark to seduce a man into bed. Now, she's the founder of that. So you go midi, mini, midi, maxi. And many officials in a survey say that the miniskirt definitely aggravates the crime of rape. A young man in our church here last Sunday night after what I talked about, the four kinds of love, said to me, Brother Kevin, I really do have a battle at times in Waverley Christian Fellowship. We're trying to worship the Lord and I see some of the girls in mini, mini skirts. You see, a man is stimulated by sight. A woman is stimulated by touch. And some of the girls don't realise this. Some, of, some parents don't realise that and think it's cute to see mini skirts. So, oh, you know, nice legs and everything like that. What does it do to a guy? We're just being very realistic. And many kinds of times guys involved in rape will admit that. Well, the legs stirred me up. Okay? So, you know, the, the issue is modesty. So I'm talking about, you know, uh, the, 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 the unisex sets the fashions and their whole purpose is to break down distinction between sexes. And so men are becoming more effeminate, women becoming more mannish and so forth. So, and another thing I'd like to say this, and while we're on it, Father Connor is speaking this morning, make sure you read this pastoral letter, won't you? Inappropriate dress clothing for services needs some attention. Hats, basketball caps, and, uh, you know, uh, 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 gym clothing and that is really not appropriate in the house of the Lord. So why is it that many of us come dressed up in the morning and then Sunday night, well, anything goes Sunday night. What's the difference? Now, you see, my whole, my whole standard here is dress for the occasion. For instance, how do young people like to be dressed for a wedding? What would you do, what would, uh, you know, anyone do if, say, on a wedding day, instead of the bride coming down in a reasonably nice dress or something like that, she came down in bikinis and her hair done in curling pins and swinging it, baby, she'd be right. <laughs> I'm getting married, yeah, yeah. How many would like that? Why, you know, if I say anything to people, say, oh, Kevin, that's legalistic. God sees my heart. It doesn't matter what you look like on the outside. Well, I have to look at you on the outside. And that's only a cop-out. A cop-out, you know, so that's external. You know, you mustn't judge on the outside. So, no, you dress for the occasion. So when, it, when it's a wedding, you dress for the wedding. You don't come in dirty old jeans and sloppy bikinis. Why is it that the government officials, you know, dress up and airline pilots and hostess and everything dress up? Oh, legalism. No, because they represent business. They represent the government. They represent officialdom. And yet in the church, anything goes with Jesus. No, I represent the kingdom of God. Would you like me to come in here with hair frizzed out, half a mole here, earrings here and there and... I'd like you to meet our minister today. He's cool, baby. Would you like me to wear T-shirts that have ACDC 
and some of the satanic symbols on them. Young people, wake up to these things. Listen to Father Connor this morning. Okay, anything doesn't go. We're in the house of the Lord. We represent the kingdom of God. Okay? So we've we got to see the thing behind this. The world squeezing us into its mold. And the same goes with hair grooming. Read Corinthians 11, and I've did a whole, done a whole booklet on this. Jesus didn't have long hair. Paul says, it's a shame and disgrace for men to have long hair. Was the glory of women to have longer hair than men? Avoid hairstyles that identify with rebel and rock music cultures. I don't know how many of you saw the other night uh, on uh, Coochman. How many would like me to dress like this? Now, isn't isn't um, is that a she or a he? Uh, isn't it nice? And are these here, and then look at these dudes here. Yeah. Something for everybody here. Uh, you know, one of the amazing things is, and when I was in Portland, Oregon, can I take a few more minutes? Sure. Uh, when we were in Portland, Oregon, sometimes we used to talk to our, our young men about haircuts and so forth. Oh, a bunch of legalism. Bible temple, legalistic church, that Connor. Moses gave 10 commandments, Connor gives 110. <laughs> So, do you know what we used to do? We used to pray that they'd be called up into the military. And as soon as they got called up in the military, they ran into a victim of zip, 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 zip. Wonderful. And what they wouldn't do in church under grace, they did under... And I, I, I found out that not one of them said to the military or the armed forces, bunch of legalism, you leave my hair alone. It's my glory. They didn't even say, I'll pray about it. So, you know, maybe if God would call up some of the young men that have difficulties on these, we could have a hair raid. <laughs> and then another interesting thing. We have here certain uh, style, make sure you read the pastoral letter, T-shirts with bad symbols and rebel culture words are certainly not appropriate. In immodest clothing that exposes parts of the physical body are inappropriate also. Men should dress like men, women like women. Men and women should avoid extremes and beware of the unisex clothing style. Sloppy garments, dirty shoes, bare feet, miniskirts are inappropriate in WCF. And also putting your shoes on the back of the seats and sitting on the back of the seats. Some of the seats are broken through children and people jumping up and down. No, shirt, no shoes, no shirt, no service is the motto of many restaurants. What about the house of the Lord? And of course you get into the earring thing. See churches, you know, ministers and, and the guitarists that with ponytails and rubber bands around them and earrings here and on, the, on their nose. And, yeah. uh, we want to sort of get to the source. Did you know where earrings on men started? It started in the homosexual society, the, the sodomites. And uh, the Sodomites started it on a certain ear. I didn't dare ask in case I got a left you know, punch. And then it moved from the homosexual group, the second stage, into the rebel group who were not homosexuals, but their motto was overthrow the establishment. So they would wear it on the opposite ear. 
I was talking to a guy in a bank the other day, a, a young man, I won't say who, with, with a bank. You might pull your money up. I said, would you mind me asking you a personal question? He said, no. I said, uh, wh what's the idea of the earring? He said, oh, well, it's, uh, you know, it's a sort of a fad now. It's, it's the in thing. And, um, oh, he said, well, pirates used to wear them. I said, well, who wants to be identified with sodomites and pirates? That's a good combination, isn't it? And I thought this was an interesting article uh, by Kevin. The first name's nice. Cowherd is the last name from the Baltimore Evening Post. And he's got men who wear earrings, hip or just head cases. And this is not coming from a religious fanatic like Kevin Connor. He says, despite a deafening silence from the readers on many of the subjects explored here, it is high time that this column weigh in on the issue of men who wear, e wear earrings. Uh, and then he goes on that he does think it's pretty good on some, but he says, if that is what you want to do with your ear or ears, fine, knock yourself out. Although it seems to me that certain common sense guidelines should be followed to ensure that the man not resemble a lunatic, or, and this is a tricky part of showy Amsterdam hooker. And so he goes about men are wearing earrings and a guy here. At the risk of being accused of ageism, there's a period in a man's life after which the wearing of an earring is unseemly. And he goes through about this guy who was playing Buffalo Bill, that he had this huge silver earring. He said, he looked absolutely stupid. I hope he doesn't mind me saying. I thought, that's from an irreligious guy, not from, you know. Hey. Thank you, Brother Kevin. Excellent point there. <laughs> so, legalism. Okay, what, what, what's the real motive behind it? So, is the world squeezing you into its mold? Are you identifying with some culture? Dress for the occasion. Okay, let's move on quickly. Time is five. Worldly amusements. James 4.4 4 says, no, uh, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? So what films do you watch in theatres? What sort of videos are you watching? Sometimes I hear young people getting the wildest, vilest, pornographic and violence-oriented videos and watching them. What about you as parents? Well, I always pick on the young people, no? What about parents? So many films violate the Ten Commandments, and that's a good standard. Murder, immorality, poison programs that we just feed our mind on. The company you keep in a, you know, would you take Jesus into the theatre with you and say, Jesus, would you mind coming sitting next to me and watching this movie? What would Jesus do? Forms of dancing, disco, rock, so forth. Worldly amusement. Is the world squeezing you into its mould? Number six, worldly literature. What sort of magazines do you have? You look at, we're just exploited all the time. Playboy magazine, girly, dozens of other filthy pornographic literature, sex magazines, perversions, homosexual magazines. Just violence, just filth, born out of hell. And so many, because it, it appeals to our basic in instinct. But see, it corrupts our minds and... It says the filthier are becoming filthier. And it's certainly true, through the eye gate. All right, number seven, worldly behavior. 
That's why I put the letter, abstain from, you know, how to behave yourself and how to conduct yourself in the house of God. So in the letter we put, the pastoral letter, I trust you all read, watching and playing pocket video games during service times, it's not good. Noisy types of toys, inappropriate dress and clothing, hair grooming, climbing in the gym, running in the car parks, smoking in toilets. If you're not delivered from smoking, then we're asking you not to smoke in the vicinity here or in the toilets or around the east side. We're asking you, if you haven't been delivered from the habit, it's not going to stop you going to heaven. It might help you get there quicker. But we're asking you to go and smoke in your car. Say, oh, Kevin, legalism. You're getting worse in your old age. No, the world at least has caught up with the church on this point. The world forbids you to smoke on a plane. It's wonderful that you can go on a plane for an hour and not come out like a smoked herring. (laughs) You can go into a theatre or go into some other things, which I don't go to anyway, and not come out smoked. And do you say, oh, no smoking there, a bunch of legalism. No, the world's caught up with the church at last. And yet if you dare say it in the house of the Lord, oh, that church is legalistic. Kevin Kind is getting narrow and bigoted in his old age. No, we ask you, go and smoke in your car and pollute that. Don't smoke this place out. Only smoke I want here is holy smoke. You want to burn incense to Baal? Money stolen from time to time. I can't believe it. No playing while we're praying is our motto for the gym. Standing on seats, putting your shoes on the seat. Chewing bubble gum. I'm forever blowing bubbles, pretty bubbles in the air. Not in the meeting. Not in youth meetings. Is this the sort of behaviour we want? Well, you can do it in other churches because anything goes. But we're trying to lift up a standard here. Chewing candy. Eating food and drink. Bulletins, notepapers. After the morning service, first service, we got them then. Have to go around picking up all these papers. Toilet facilities. Children running in and out the toilets. Look, if, if your children got bladder trouble, let's pray for them. Let's make their bladder gladder. <laughs> this is telling it like it is, isn't it? Eh? Negative attitudes and behaviour in the house of the Lord. Evidenced by inattentiveness, lack of involvement, frequent talking, going in and out of the services. And you see, an elder is an overseer. We don't sit on the platform. We got a nasty letter from someone who's left the church now. Said, "Why don't the elders get off the platform? They're sinners like us and come down to our level." Well, quite an encouraging letter, really. It really did my sanctification good. An elder is an overseer. It's very difficult to oversee a meeting through the back of my neck, and so I get a wonderful view of who goes in and out the door, who slips up to the shop, and who slips over there to buy candy. Remember, Brother Connor's a peacock. He's got eyes in the back of his head. (laughs) Creche facility. Do read that letter. It's very important. All right, worldly behavior. Now, remember what I've said, that if you behave like that in your home, often how people behave in the house of the Lord is how they behave in their home. Only three to go, praise God. Worldly relationships. Just put down 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. Worldly relationships. Amplified puts it this way. Do not be so deceived and misled. 
evil companionships, evil communications, evil associations, corrupt and depraved, good manners and morals and character. And so many people have been deceived. Now, I know we've got to be friends with the world to win them to Jesus. But if they're winning you to the world and you're not winning them to Jesus, you better check your friends out. Jesus was a friend of sinners to bring them to himself. But Jesus never became a druggie to win the druggies. He never became a harlot to win the harlots. You know, you, so you don't, you don't become a, like the world to win the world. There was always that standard. So Jesus was a friend of sinners to bring them to himself. I was talking to a young person the other day. and said, well, how are you ever going to win them to Jesus? I go and mix with friends who are on drugs. And I, I smoke marijuana with them, too. I want to bring them to the Lord. Well, I said, Jesus never became a druggie to win the druggies. He never became a sinner to win the sinners. But he was a friend of sinners. So how many young people have said to me, and people over the years, I got into the wrong company. Got into the wrong company. Do not be deceived or misled. Evil companionships, evil communications, evil associations, corrupt and depraved, good manners, and some of the manners of young people, some, just a few, kids, and morals and character. All right, number nine. And this is a very touchy area. And I say, very fact that you react. If I talk about music and musicians, you react, oh, we're touching something that's maybe dangerous in your heart. One of the most powerful influences in the world today, shaping, moulding and controlling the lives of millions of people is worldly music that's earthly, sensual and devilish. We haven't got time to do a whole session on that. Those of you who saw Coochman on heavy metal the other night and death metal, I took profound notes off the video that uh, was videoed off that. Quite an eye-opener. I ask kids questions like this about music. Does the music edify you? Does this music seriously offend those around you? Does this music represent the world system? Does this music present a clear message? Is this music presented decently in order, melody, harmony and rhythm? I'd like to spend a whole session on evaluation of music because most people today are not musical and do not know how to evaluate music. Maybe we'll do it one day. Does the music represent the character of the kingdom of God? Does this music appeal to my flesh or my spirit? Does this music produce the good fruit of the spirit in my life? Is this music a substitute for my relationship with God? Do I worship the music and miss the God of music? If I do, it's idolatry. Could I really listen to the music before the throne of God and the Lamb? Does it glorify music or does it glorify God? And of course, when it comes to musicians, that's a whole message in itself. Have you studied the life of the musician? How many know where Striper are today? How many know where Andre Crouch is today? Talking to someone who knew him personally just recently from America. So the last he saw of Andre Crouch is selling second-hand cars in a car yard. Last he saw of Stripers, Far From God. The last album doesn't even mention God. It's just gone right back into the world. It's great to throw Bibles to everybody, sure. But what did it do? How many kids shaped their 
style, dress and grooming and everything after Striper. What's the end result of these musicians' life? Are they living clean, moral lives? Check it out. Number 10. It's the last one. Because this is really the bottom line. Worldly attitudes. It's really the key to the previous nine. J.A. Adams, as I wrap up here, he gives this definition of attitude. An attitude is that combination of presuppositions, beliefs, convictions and opinions that make up one's habitual stance at any given time toward a subject, person or act. It is a mindset that strongly influences behaviour. Listen to the progression of this as we finish. A person's philosophy determines their beliefs and a person's beliefs determines their attitudes and a person's attitudes determines their behaviour and a person's behaviour determines their character and a person's character determines their destiny. Let me just finish on this. Thank you for giving me those few minutes. It's entitled a poem, If Jesus Came to Your House. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpected, I wonder what you'd do. Oh, I know you'd give your nicest room to such an honoured guest, and all the food you'd serve him would be the very best. And you would keep assuring him you're glad to have him there, that serving him in your house is joy beyond compare. But when you saw him coming, would you meet him at the door with arms outstretched in welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you have to change your clothes before you let him in? Or hide some magazines and put the Bible where they'd been? Would you turn off the radio and hope he hadn't heard and wish you hadn't uttered that last loud hasty word? Would you hide your worldly music and put some hymn books out? Could you just let Jesus walk right in? Or would you rush about? And I wonder if the Saviour spent a day or two with you, would you go right on doing the things you always do? Would you go right on saying the things you always say? Would life for you continue as it does from day to day? Would your family conversation keep up its usual pace? Or would you find it hard each day a meal to say a table grace? Would you sing the songs you always sing and read the books you read and let him know the things on which your mind and spirit feed? Would you take Jesus with you everywhere you plan to go? Or maybe would you change your plans for just a day or so? Would you be glad to have him meet your very closest friends or hope that they would stay away till his visit ends? Would you be glad to have him stay forever on and on or would you sigh with great relief when he at last had gone? It might be interesting to know the things that you would do if Jesus came in person to spend some time with you. Would you watch television, the programs that you do, inviting Jesus Christ himself to sit and watch with you? Or would you make excuses as to why you had it there? That it was under your control, there's nothing there to fear. Would you just live and act and speak as you have always done? Or would your eyes always behold God's well-beloved Son? I think that he, if he really came to spend some time with you, your life's transforming question then, what would Jesus do? Let's all stand. I would like the musicians to come and
I know I've taken a lot of extra time of your fellowship this morning, but I want you to receive it in the spirit we've shared this morning. And let's keep up a standard in way of the Christian fellowship. I appreciate our young people and just the church as a whole um, for the response. Be sure to visit kevinconnor.org for more information about Kevin, his books and his ministry.